Section 1 of The Black Cat, Volume 1, Number 7, April 1896. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Black Cat, Volume 1, Number 7, April 1896. Section 1. The Mystery of the Thirty Millions by T. F. Anderson and H. D. Olmsteader. At eight o'clock on the morning of March 14, 1903, the Anglo-American liner, the Oklahoma, left her dock in North River on her regular trip to Southampton. The fact of her departure, ordinarily of merely local interest, was telegraphed all over the United States and Canada, and even to London itself, for there was a significance attached to this particular trip such as had never before marked the sailing of an ocean steamship from these shores. It was not because the great vessel numbered among her crowd of passengers, a well-known English duke and his young bride, the grand-niece of a world-famous New York railroad magnate, that her sailing was heralded by such a blowing of trumpets, nor because she had upon her lists the names of the august British ambassador to the United States, returning home on a brief furlough, the noted French tragedian, fresh from his American triumphs, and a score of other illustrious personages whose names were household words in a dozen countries. The presence of all these notables was merely incidental. What made this trip of the Oklahoma an event of international interest was the fact that at this, the apparent climax of the great gold exporting movement from the United States, now continued until it had almost drained the national treasury of its precious yellow hoard, and had precipitated a commercial crisis such as never before had been experienced, the Oklahoma was taking to the shores of insatiate John Bull the largest lump amount of gold ever shipped upon a single vessel within the memory of man. Not even in the memorable gold exporting year of 1893, ten years previous, had any such sum as this been sent abroad at one time. It was not the usual paltry half-million or million dollars that she was carrying away in her great strong room of steel and teak wood, but thirty million dollars worth of shining eagles and glinting bars, hastily called across the ocean because of the adverse balance of trade and the temporary mistrust of American securities by the fickle Europeans. The mere insurance premium on this vast sum was in itself a comfortable fortune. Businessmen wondered why such a large amount was entrusted to one steamer. Suppose she should collide in the fog and sink, as one great ship had done only a few weeks before. What would become of the insurance companies then? Suppose some daring Napoleon of crime should hatch a startling conspiracy to seize the steamer, intimidate the crew and passengers, and possess himself with a huge treasure. It would be a stake well worth long risks, thought some of the police officials, as they read the headlines in the evening papers. The Oklahoma was a fast sailer. Her five hundred feet of length and her twelve thousand tons of displacement were made light work of by the great clanking triple expansion engines when their combined force of fifteen thousand horsepower was brought to bear upon her twin screws. Under ordinary conditions, she ought to have made port on the other side in time to let her passengers eat late dinner on the sixth day out. Incoming steamers reported a brief spell of nasty weather in mid-ocean, however, and so her failure to reach Southampton on the 6th and even the 7th day was not particularly remarked. 
the great American public had been busy with other weighty matters in the interim, including a threatened succession of silver-producing states, and the departure of this modern argosy with her precious freight had almost passed into history. For history in the year 1903 was anything that had happened further than a week back, a day if it was not of overwhelming importance. If the big ship's arrival had been cabled on the eighth day, or even early on the ninth, it would still have found the public in a comparatively calm state of mind, for the mid-Atlantic storm would naturally account for a multitude of lost hours. But when the ninth lapped over into the tenth, and the tenth on to the eleventh and twelfth, with no tidings of the tardy steamer, surprise grew into anxiety, and anxiety into an international sensation. Of course, all sorts of plausible theories were advanced by the steamship agents, the newspapers, and other oracles, including that of the inevitable broken shaft, and these might have sufficed for a day or two longer had it not been for another and much more startling theory that suddenly came to the surface and threw two continents into a fever of trepidation and suspense. It was the following announcement in a leading New York morning paper that roused excitement to a fever heat. A new and most astounding phase has come over the case of the mysteriously missing Oklahoma. It has just been given out from police headquarters that Gentleman Jim Langwood, the noted cracksman and forger, whose ten-year sentence at Sing Sing expired only a few weeks ago, was in the city several days previous to the sailing of the Oklahoma, and went with her as a passenger under an assumed name. Even at that very time the central office detectives were looking for him, as a tip had been sent round that he was up to some new deviltry. One of those clever people whom nothing ever escapes had seen him go aboard almost at the last minute, and gave an accurate description of his personal appearance, which was evidently but slightly disguised. Langwood is probably the only criminal in the country who would ever conceive and try to execute such a stupendous undertaking, and it is something more than a suspicion on the part of the New York police that he has smuggled on board a couple of dozen well-armed desperados who could easily hold the entire crew and passengers in check and make them do their bidding, for a time at least. The idea is so replete with thrilling possibilities that the entire community stands aghast at it. It is to be noted that the public always stands aghast in such a case as this, but it is more to the point just now to say that the article went on, through a column or more, to describe in minute detail the circumstances attendant upon the departure of Gentleman Jim, even to the number and shape of the bundles he had in his arms. The famous robber was very boyish in appearance, and one of the last persons in the world whom a chance acquaintance would think of looking up in the rogues' gallery. Evidently he was out for the stuff, in most approved stage villain style, with more millions in the stake than even Colonel Sellers of nineteenth-century fame had ever dreamed of. Of course, this theory, which was already accepted as a fact, especially in police and newspaper circles, was quickly cabled across, and created such a profound sensation on the other side that even the London papers had to give it to that prominent position which is usually reserved for American cyclones, crop failures, and labor outbreaks. Upon the phlegmatic British government, it acted much like an electric shock, and nearly threw the foreign office into a panic. For was not the British minister plenipotentiary himself a passenger on the ill-fated Oklahoma, and possibly at that very hour being butchered in cold blood by a lot of Yankee cutthroats? The thought was too horrible for a moment's endurance, and forthwith the cablegrams began to flash thick and fast between the foreign office and the British legation in Washington. The result was that, within a few hours after the appearance of the paragraph, one of the fastest and most powerful of Her Majesty's cruisers, 
quickly followed by a second and a third, hastily steamed from Portsmouth Roads, the three spreading out north, west, and south like a great marine fan as they hurried to the rescue of the Oklahoma and the British ambassador. Meanwhile, at the Boston, Brooklyn, and League Island Navy Yards, three or four of Uncle Sam's white war dogs were getting up steam for a similar errand, and a small fleet of ocean-going steamers, specially chartered by New York, Boston, and Chicago newspapers to go in search of the absent Leviathan, were already threading their way through the narrows. Not for years had there been such worldwide interest in an ocean expedition. The newspapers commanded an unheard-of sail, where everything was on the tiptoe of expectation concerning the fate of the missing steamer, her six hundred passengers, and her thirty millions of gold. While the public was thus feverishly awaiting the news, certain discoveries were being made by the New York police, which only went to confirm their previous suspicions. Four or five other hardened graduates from state prison were found to be absent from their accustomed haunts in the east side slums, although known to have been in the city just before the Oklahoma sailed, as was Gentleman Jim himself. These discoveries had their natural effect upon the public mind, and the friends of those on board the steamer began to despair of hearing that even human life had been respected by the piratical band. As to the British Foreign Office, this cumulative evidence threw it into a perfect frenzy, and it was only by a miracle that a declaration of war against the United States was averted. Three days passed by after the departure of the big searching fleets, during which time all incoming steamers reported that they had found not a single trace of the Oklahoma either in the northern or southern route. Vessels from the Mediterranean, the West Indies, South America, all made the same ominous report. The tension was terrible. Thousands could not even sleep on account of the mental strain, and the minds of some of the weaker actually gave way beneath it. The public by this time was convinced, beyond a reasonable shadow of doubt, that the robbers had successfully carried out their fiendish plan. But how? And when? And where? When they opened their newspapers on the morning of the eighteenth day of suspense, they found the answer to the question, and the greatest marine mystery of centuries was solved. In the small hours of the night there had flashed across the European continent, and under the dark waters of the Atlantic, this startling message from the representative of the Union Press Association. Lisbon, April 1. The missing Oklahoma is disabled at Fayo Azores, where she was discovered by the Union Press Special Expedition. Many of the half-starved crew and passengers are on the verge of insanity. The officers tell a most astounding story of the steamer's exciting and almost fatal adventures. On the third night out, the Oklahoma suddenly came under some mysterious but irresistible influence by which she was carried rapidly out of her course toward the south. Every effort was made by the officers to bring the ship back to her course, but the big liner seemed drifting helplessly at the mercy of some powerful current. The compasses were useless, and the wheel no longer exercised the slightest control over the steamer's movements. Naturally, the anxiety of the officers was in no way diminished when on the morning of the next day, which was then the fourth day out, another vessel, a long, low-setting craft of shining steel, was discovered off the Oklahoma's starboard bow about a mile off, but moving in the same direction. By careful observation, it was discovered that the course of the two steamers was identical. Both were apparently under the same mysterious influence. Instead of sighting a rescuer, the Oklahoma had, so it seemed, only discovered another victim of the irresistible current. Time and again the Oklahoma attempted to signal the companion ship, but the latter made no reply. 
Close observation revealed that she was built on the whaleback principle, with nothing above decks save ventilators and signal mast, but failed to discover any sign of human being. By afternoon, their continued failure to bring the liner back to her course had so wrought upon the minds of her officers that their anxiety infected the spirits of the passengers, who were now aroused to the real danger that menaced them. When the fifth day dawned, with the Oklahoma hundreds of miles out of the regular transatlantic course, the gravity of the situation could no longer be concealed. Distress signals were kept flying, and all possible steam was put on with the idea of overhauling the companion ship and giving or receiving aid. To the amazement of both officers and passengers, however, in spite of every effort, the Oklahoma failed to gain a single inch on the other vessel. Before they had time to attempt an explanation of this remarkable fact, amazement gave way to consternation. For just a moment, a third vessel had appeared on the horizon like a messenger of hope. But no sooner had she been sighted than with a swiftness of lightning, the mysterious companion craft turned half around and darted away to the southeast, with the Oklahoma following as helplessly as though she were in tow. In that moment, the awful truth was revealed. The steel vessel was nothing more nor less than a floating lodestone, which by some mysterious power was dragging the great ocean monster hither and thither as easily as a magnet draws a toy ship from one side to the other of a mimic pond. Who was she, and what was her motive? Almost before those on board had asked the question, the answer flashed upon them. The thirty millions of gold! Beyond a doubt, it was their capture which she was planning to accomplish, either by luring the Oklahoma from the regular path of ocean travel and looting her and her passengers at leisure, or by compelling her to run aground upon some remote rock or shoal. With this revelation a new horror unveiled itself. Equipped as they were only with the supplies for a short trip across the Atlantic, the overwrought minds of many saw starvation looming up before them. That night not a soul sought his birth. From time to time consultations were held between the chief officers, and many colored rockets spit and blazed their signals of distress incessantly across the sky. At length, soon after dawn of the sixth day, orders were given to bank fires and hoist sail in the hope that the Oklahoma, as a sailing vessel, might free herself from the awful influence that chained her. But the effort was vain. Wind and sail proved as useless as wheel and compass against the fatal power of that mysterious craft which drew the Oklahoma after her as irresistibly as though the two vessels were united by an unseen hawser. The steamer had now become a scene of indescribable horror. Mealtime, bedtime, all the customary routine was disorganized, and daily prayer meetings were conducted among the more emotional of the passengers. Finally, seven days after she had left New York, the officers of the big liner united in one last desperate effort to offset the magnetic influence of the mysterious pirate. The fires were revived in the engine room. The steam pressure in all the boilers was run up to the blowing-off point. Then, suddenly, the reversing mechanism was applied, and a shudder ran through the great floating city as the twin screws began to back water. For a few minutes there ensued a titanic tug-of-war such as the beholders had never before witnessed. The water astern was lashed into a lather of foam, and for a brief moment the triumph of steam over magnetism seemed assured. Only for a moment, however, for the cheer that had ascended from the anxious scores on the deck of the Oklahoma when she slowly began to back, had scarcely died away when with a mighty crash a vital section of the overtaxed engines gave way, followed by a hoarse yell of consternation from the excited engineers and stokers, and both screws were helpless and still. With this failure, hope was well-nigh extinguished, and the Oklahoma, with her precious freight 
and her 643 human souls abandoned all active effort to escape. With not a sail of any kind in sight, she passively rolled and plunged southward for seven days after her strange and terrible pilot, from which, to add to the horror of the situation, no human sign had yet been given. The supply of rockets was now exhausted, and food was doled out in minute portions as to members of a shipwrecked crew in order to husband supplies. On the afternoon of the fourteenth day, when the exhausted passengers had reached the verge of distraction, a gleam of hope appeared on the horizon in the shape of a solitary steamer bearing down from the southwest. A glance through the telescope proved her to be a fast and formidable British cruiser, evidently en route from South America to England. At this news a mighty shudder, half of hope, half of fear, seized the crowd assembled upon the deck. Would the British cruiser come to their assistance? And if so, would she, too, become a victim of the magnetic craft? For a moment their fate hung in the balance. Then from three hundred throats rang out a hoarse cry of joy as the mysterious craft swerved turned sharply, and shot away over the surface of the Atlantic due north. The spell was broken. The big liner with her six hundred human souls and thirty million in gold was freed from the power that had for so long held her captive. But crippled as she was by the accident to her machinery, she was unable to proceed unaided, and was taken in tow by the British steamer, the Midlothian, and a day later was brought safely into port at Fayal. The Union Press steamer is the first to bring the thrilling news. The first officer of the Oklahoma and the saloon passengers, including Sir Gamble Rolfe, the British ambassador, accompanied your correspondent to Lisbon. A relief steamer is urgently needed, as the Oklahoma's engines are both disabled and she will not be able to proceed for several weeks. The passenger thought to be Gentleman Jim Langwood proves to be the Duke of Bedfordshire, now on his wedding trip with his young millionaire American bride. Hardly had the excitement caused by this startling intelligence subsided, when it was once more aroused by a dispatch from Providence, Rhode Island, announcing the capture in the act of robbing a jewelry store of Gentleman Jim Langwood and a gang of four other old-timers, and by the following even more important cablegram from the Russian representative of the Union Press. St. Petersburg, April 2. The identity of the mysterious craft by which the Oklahoma was drawn from her course has been established beyond a doubt. The vessel is a hypnotic cruiser, recently completed by a Russian inventor named Slobodensky, and possessed of an electric apparatus by which any vessel can be brought completely under its control. Whether the hypnotic cruiser's bedevilment of the Oklahoma was merely a trial of power, or whether plunder was intended, can only be surmised. But naval lawyers say that this marvelous new invention will revolutionize naval warfare and necessitate the passage of stringent laws to cover a crime for which, at present, no penalty exists. End of section 1. Recording by Todd.